Good morning, church. I am Joe Greenwood, and this morning our passage is Mark 7, 31 through 37. Jesus heals a deaf man. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had his speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Thanks, Joe. Um, we value experience, right? Uh, in jobs, like we want our doctors to have experience, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, like the Holiday, the Holiday Inn Express commercials, like that's not good enough for us. We want our doctors to have experience. We want um, our, the people doing our taxes to have experience, right? Experience is good. We value that. Uh, we also use our experience to share things a lot, right? So my experience with food is that food is good, that food can sometimes taste good, taste really good, and when I have a, an experience that was really good, I want to share that with people. So this, this concept of our experiences is really valuable to us, and it's something that we even take and we use to proclaim what we experience, right? It's our experiences that we find the most confidence in. It's our experiences that we'll end up sharing. And it's the things that, that we experience that we end up reflecting on, that our minds go back to. Sometimes it's what people say, it's stories we've heard. If we, get, if we enter into somebody else's experience, that's pretty helpful, but we value experience. So, because this is Sunday morning, and we are gathered as the church, and we're reading scripture, I have a question for you about Jesus. How have you experienced Jesus? So we take this value of experience, and we connect it to the person and the work of Jesus. How have you experienced him? How can you use that experience to share with someone else? Maybe someone who hasn't experienced him. Maybe someone who has forgotten and needs some encouragement. And this question isn't only for believers. If you're not a Christian in this room, I want you to consider as well. How have you heard of Jesus? What has been shared with you of Jesus? Have you been given someone's experience of him? Or maybe just someone's knowledge about him? If you have been given uh, an experience of Jesus, what is it about that experience that has kept you from believing? Let's consider our experiences of Jesus. Have we considered Jesus? 
I'm not asking what you know about Jesus. I'm not asking about your theology. I'm not asking about um, your scripture memorization. I'm asking about experience. There's many reasons that we don't take our experiences and share them, right? We have a lot of justifications. Uh, One that's probably pretty popular, one of my biggest struggles with proclaiming, especially to the people who I know are not believers, who I know really well, my family and friends who are not believers, is that I'm really afraid of what people think of me, right? Fear of man is what the Bible calls that. I get easily embarrassed. I feel shame pretty deeply. And this is something that that becomes a barrier between um, what I know and have experienced about Jesus and being able to share that. Does anybody else feel that way? But we all have our our reasons, our justifications. There are times, because um, as I've I've brought this to the Lord, as I've repented, uh, as I've said, no, I I don't want to fear man. I don't know how to overcome that. I've tried. I don't want to fear man, but I want to fear the Lord. I want to trust and depend on you. As I've brought that to him, as I've repented, I've grown a lot. If you look at my life from the last three years, it's an experience of realizing that Jesus is trustworthy and dependable, that the fear of man is a snare, that it only leads to death, but that the fear of the Lord, those who fear the Lord dwell in safety. I've experienced that. And over the last few years, he's grown me tremendously from that. But we all have our reasons, our justifications for not proclaiming. I want to to pull apart and see these two things, our experiences and our sharing these experiences. I want to see these and feel the weight of these things because what I'm not here to do is to shame you into being a better evangelist, right? I'm not trying to yell at you uh, to say, you need to be better at proclaiming Jesus to your unbelieving friends and family. You need to be better at living and preaching the gospel in your everyday life. That's probably true. That's probably true for all of us. But my job's not to stand up here and yell at you to change your behavior and demand your obedience. That's not my job. My job and the job of the pastor, the job of the preacher, is to give you the tools and the space to experience Jesus for yourself. So that through that experience, you would grow to love him, that you would grow to know him, and that in your love of him, he would produce the fruit of obedience, that you would proclaim his goodness and his worthiness, that you'd be able to share your experience of him to those who don't know, to those who have never experienced him. So the goal of our time this morning is to understand that as we experience Jesus, we can't help but to proclaim Jesus. And that's our our little 3 a.m. thought, our main idea, the thing that if I could have you remember anything from this morning, from my message, it's as we experience Jesus, we will proclaim Jesus. And this isn't something where we have to um, grow and spend all this time experiencing Jesus 
and then at some point I'll be able to proclaim. It's something we do both at the same time. Because we've, given, we've been given permission and instruction to proclaim. And as we proclaim, we realize, oh man, I really need help. And we lean on Jesus in those times. We experience even more and more. I'm getting ahead of myself. The miracle that we see here in Mark 7, this miracle is not just a miracle. It's not just to say, look what Jesus can do, which is probably what this man was saying where Jesus was like, hey, please don't go out and spread this word because he may not have shared that rightly. But this miracle is a revelation of Jesus' identity as the Messiah, This miracle is a revelation of the salvation found in Jesus as the Messiah, in the redemption of God's people, bringing us back into relationship with our Creator and our Father, and the restoration of all creation to its intended design. Salvation, redemption, and restoration in Jesus as Messiah was the point of this miracle And we fit in to all three of those categories, salvation, redemption, and restoration. So how do we learn from Mark 7 here an experience of Jesus as Savior, Redeemer, and Restorer of all things? Well, uh, let's look at the text specifically first. He says uh, in verse 31 that he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon. So that's just a way to say he was really far away. And instead of going straight to the Decapolis... He went the long way, and he went around through this Gentile land. We don't know exactly why. Maybe some of those stories are are written and spread out through the Gospels. But what we know is that he walked about 120 miles with his disciples to get to the Decapolis. That's like, Brian and I were trying to figure that out. That's like walking from here to Eastland, like beyond Abilene. And if we walked, what, eight or ten hours a day, that's about a week of walking. Okay, so there's a time gap between our last story and this story. But as Jesus leaves uh, Tyre and goes through Sidon, taking that longest way possible, he's accumulated this crowd that's followed him into the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is this region on the um, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan, where uh, there's this mixture of Jews and Gentiles, We don't know in this story particularly who is present, and that's on purpose. We're meant to understand that because it's what we've seen is Jesus' ministry to Israel, and then it kind of grows into Jesus' ministry to the Gentiles, and now we get this picture of it's everybody, right? And so we're in the Decapolis with Jesus. There's this large crowd gathered, and they bring to him this infamous they. Even the Bible's aware of this they. They bring to him this man who is deaf and mute, that's important that we understand what was wrong with this man, this, this impediment that he had. He could not hear. Um, this was not something he was born with. This was uh, something that had happened to him, an experience that he had in his life, whether through injury or disease. He was not able to hear any longer. And because he was not able to hear, there was probably also some, if it was a disease, 
some impediment on, on those nerves that have kept him from speaking clearly, but at least even if he were deaf, he'd have an incredibly hard time speaking. And so we get this picture of a man um, who cannot hear and with much trouble can say a few words. Now I want us to picture just for a second, imagine with me this man's experience without Jesus, deaf and mute. How do, we, how do we know one another? How do we grow to love one another, to be known and understood by one another? It's through hearing and being heard, right? So now imagine this man not being able to hear from his loved ones the words, I love you. Not being able to say with the ease and the grace that he wants, with the emotion that he feels, I love you. Probably being passed by when he's perfectly capable to do a job, not being hired. We enter into this, the experience of this man without Jesus because he probably feels, now the text does not say what he feels, but we're given an experience because we too are humans with these experiences and we know what it feels like to be lonely and misunderstood and to feel so invisible. As we enter into this man's experience before he's brought to Jesus, it gives us clarity on why Jesus acts the way he acts towards him. So look at specifically how Jesus responds to this man. Verse 33, taking him aside from the crowd privately. He couldn't hear. It's not like the crowds were, were like keeping him from being able to hear what Jesus was saying. And it's not like Jesus needed to hear him say something because this man had a really hard time speaking but he pulled him away from the busyness to look him in the eye so that he could see his lips move, so that he could get his full attention, so that Jesus could give this man his full attention. He pulls him aside privately, and then he touches him. He gives him an experience and it's a little weird. It's okay for us to, to see what happens next and be like, all right, I know like we're 21st century America. This is first century Middle East. Like there's something weird happening here. He sticks his fingers in his ears and then he spits on his hand and touches his tongue. Have you ever gagged reading the Bible? I know some of you. I know that some of you were probably like, oh gosh, I'm, please don't say that part out loud. It's weird, but it's very on purpose. Jesus doesn't care how weird it is. He touches his ears to say, listen, I know these are broken. I'm going to fix them. He touches his tongue to say, listen, I know this is bound up, and I'm going to set it free. The spit, is, it's on purpose too. There's this cultural thing at this time in rabbinic Judaism where healing was associated with saliva. Not sure why or where that came from. I didn't do the deep dive on that part. Didn't have time. But the point is, Jesus is saying, I'm going to heal you. 
The region this man was from, the Decapolis, was filled with all kinds of religions. Some, like we talked about last week, this Hellenistic idea where everybody's just drinking the swamp water of all the religions. We have some people that come around who actually are able to heal by dark powers and these wonder workers of these religions, and Jesus is differentiating himself. He pulls this man aside, not to gain the approval of the crowds. He pulls this man aside so that he gets a one-on-one experience with him. And then he does these weird things to connect himself to the healer, to the source of healing, to the creator God. Because what he does next, after he puts his fingers in his ears and he spits on his tongue, he looks up to heaven and he sighs. And he says a word that probably sounds a lot like a word this man has said before. As he mumbles and he struggles to get his speech out. And Jesus says this word. Peter, Peter's dictating these stories to Mark, who's writing them, right? Peter on purpose said, and then he, and then he said, Ephesa. No, 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 write that down. Don't write the Greek. Don't, write, don't translate it. Write down Ephesa. Because as in Genesis 1, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the spirit of God, the spirit breath, of God, the power to create all things hovered over the face of the deep. And by his word, he spoke life into being. Jesus is not only saying, I'm here to heal you, he's saying, I'm God. I am the source of all healing. I made you. I spoke life into you. And your life experience has brought you to me so that I can speak life and freedom into you again. Now, it's important also for us to see that when he says, Ephatha, be opened, this is not Jesus talking to his ears and his tongue. This word is a personal word. He's telling the man, be free. This man who is bound by brokenness of his body. And remember, Jesus always uses the physical to represent the spiritual. He says, be opened, be free. Because this healing is connected deeply to a promise that is made many, many times throughout the Old Testament, throughout Scripture. When God says, I'm going to send you a Redeemer, I'm going to send you a Savior, He connects those, those, the saving, the redeeming, and the restoring of all creation to specific healings. And we're going to look at Isaiah 35 Um, a few verses in Isaiah 35, but the whole chapter of Isaiah 35, I encourage you to read that because it's encouraging. Isaiah 
Isaiah 35 verses four through six gives us this picture of what is happening here. There's these specific healings that are done, right? Here's what's really being said. This was the plan. This was the plan all along. Isaiah 35 is not news. Mark 7 is not news. The whole plan of this whole thing has been in here since before it was written. Isaiah 35 picks it up and brings it into our experience and we bring it in here to Mark 7. We see in verse 4, say to those who have an anxious heart. Is that anybody's experience? Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the retribution of God. That means the the vengeance, the retribution. It means he's setting the record straight. He's showing who's really in charge here. And it's not sin and brokenness. It's not Satan. It's not these dark powers. He's setting the record straight. God will come with vengeance to set his people free. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The promise in Isaiah 35 and in many places in the Old Testament is pointing to a day where these physical healings won't just be physical healings but it's a promise of something bigger and better and more lasting. Because what's going to happen to this man's body? He's healed, but he's going to die again, right? Not again. He's going to die. His body's going to break. And without the promise of the Messiah, that healing really meant nothing. Because without the promise of the Messiah, there's no salvation, There's no redemption. There's no restoration back to God in perfect harmony and relationship forever. There's a healing that happened, but it's because it's Jesus who gave him this experience. This man leans more on the healing. He leans on Christ himself to save his soul, to redeem him back to the Father, and to restore his body one day fully and permanently. So Jesus doesn't just heal him. He gives him a complete experience of why he's come. The salvation, redemption, and restoration of all things to himself. This is why we are given this picture. And so we ask again, how have you experienced Jesus? How has Jesus' salvation come to you? How has he offered you forgiveness? How has the redemption of the Father in your life led to the redemption of other relationships in your life? How's the, res- the restoration promised in Christ made it so far to restore maybe your body, but also your soul? How have you experienced Jesus?
Um, we often ask for physical healing, right? Y'all probably know already, some of you may not. I've been begging Jesus for 12 years to heal me. But in my asking him to heal me of lupus, what I've experienced is an incredibly more valuable healing of my soul, of my relationships, of my understanding of who God is. You know how much more valuable that inward healing is than if I'm just not dizzy anymore, if my body's just not exhausted anymore. I'll take it. And so we see this healing and, and we see Jesus say, but don't, don't go share. And we see other places in scripture where Jesus says, don't share. And you've probably been curious, well, why does he do that? He tells the disciples to go and proclaim. Why does he tell these people not to? There's a few different reasons. There's probably lots that we don't even know there's some that we do, some that are clear here. One of those is it's likely that this man would not have shared, Jesus is the Messiah, but that he would have shared, Jesus healed me. And so then we treat Jesus like a prayer machine instead of Messiah. We come to him for the things we can get from him rather than an experience of relationship. It's, it's more likely, though, that Jesus said don't proclaim because the time hadn't come yet. It's just not time for you to proclaim right now. I've got specific people preaching because the clarity that they have about who I am and why I've come has come to them. And so he calls the disciples and tells them to go and proclaim. Now, this man, was disob this man had experienced disobedient proclamation because Jesus said don't go share yet. But we're on this side of history, this side of the end of the whole story of Mark, when Jesus then tells us, go and do proclaim, because the fullness of who I am has been put on display. My identity as Messiah has been made clear. I've resurrected from the grave. Now go and proclaim who I am to the world, so that they would know I am worthy of their worship. So, we either now obediently proclaim because we've been given permission and instruction, or we are disobediently silent. And when we fall into either one of those categories, when we're obediently proclaiming, we proclaim not because we're supposed to, not because we know enough. We proclaim because Jesus is worthy of our experience of healing to be shared. And if we're disobediently silent, this just means keep pursuing that experience. Don't just white knuckle your way through the fear of man. Ask Jesus to heal you of the fear of man. Experience the healing and then go and tell someone who you know is afraid of people what you've experienced. Our experience of Jesus is given to us so that we would proclaim as worship who he is, so that the world would worship him. 
So I've invited two people, uh, Jody and Todd, to, to come share this morning. Um, they're, they're just going to share their stories. They're going to share their experience of Jesus. I've asked them two questions. How have you experienced Jesus? Yeah, you can grab that mic, a stool if you want. How have you experienced Jesus, and how can your experience proclaim the truth of Jesus to someone who has not experienced? That's a little wordy. I'm sorry. How have you experienced Jesus, and how can that truth proclaim Jesus to someone who needs to hear him? Go ahead, Jody. Now it's on. <laughs> um, my name is Jody. For those of you who might not know me, and Ryan um, called me this week and asked me if I could share a little bit just about how I've experienced Jesus and how that has um, caused me to share Jesus in my own life. And the first thing I really, really thought about was that, um, you know, I grew up in Colorado City, not far from here. And which, you know, this whole area is, you know, what we would call the Bible Belt, right? So very culturally Christian. Um, but I genuinely grew up in a home where my parents loved the Lord. I gave my life to the Lord when I was eight years old and was just like your very typical church kid. Um, you know, like if the doors were open, I was there. And, um, kind of just like lived that way for a really long time. And I am naturally a rule follower, just like in my personality. So rules and religion came very easy to me. Um, and it, it wasn't until I got in college and started truly understanding, okay, there's actually more than just like rules and religion. There's relationship with Jesus that actually leads to freedom in him. And when I started experiencing that in my own life, it almost like created this freedom in me to go and tell others because I could see these other people that I knew or even just met, you know, out and about around town, wherever, that they were so tied up in religion instead of actually experiencing the freedom that is in Christ. Um, and I think, you know, how that makes me go and share that with others. I worked for a missions organization for the last six, seven years. And something that we would train our participants in was, you know, when you're going and you're telling people about Jesus, what is the good news of the gospel for that person, right? So, I mean, don't hear what I'm not saying. Like, the good news of the gospel doesn't change, right? Like, it is that Christ died for us. It is that Christ died for us, and so we get to walk in freedom with him, right? Like, it doesn't just end there. So um, when I think about how I share that with other people in my life, I think, okay, what is the good news of the gospel for this person? How can the freedom that Christ gives us actually allow us to walk with him, and how can I share that with that person, look them in the eye, see what they might need to hear, and then use the freedom that I've experienced to share that with them. So. For y'all that don't know me, uh, my name's Todd. Um, I grew up in church just like she did, and um, did, knew all the rules and everything, and, and, and grew up and was saved when I was 13 in uh, 
Glorieta, New Mexico, at church camp, um, and became uh, uh, a typical teenage boy, a um, little rebellious. Um, about 17, I decided I didn't want to go to church anymore. So I started rebelling against my parents and uh, graduated high school. Um, and two weeks later, I moved out. I uh, lived on my own and uh, got into the party scene um, and did that for quite a long time. Uh, met my first wife in the party scene and had two kids. Um, did not take those two kids to church. Uh, my mom would come by and pick them up occasionally from the house and take them to church and always felt really bad about that, but I still never took them to church. Um, so um, one day my uh, wife walked out on me and the kids and uh, I was working 45 hours a week. I was uh, coaching two sports teams, uh, both the kids in sports, um, trying to keep the house in order, uh, feed them, uh, get them to school and stuff and it was, very hard, very hard. And one day I broke down and got on my knees and said, God, please, I have to have your help. I know I haven't been walking the right path, but um, I, I can't do this alone. And he was there, and things got much better. Um, not, not completely better, but they, they did get better. Um, had a friend uh, shortly after that uh, introduce me to... Um, a lady, and um, make sure I get that right, a lady, not a girl, um, introduced me to a lady, and at that time, I was, I was not interested. I was trying to focus on my kids and taking care of them, and about three or four months later, I had another uh, friend of mine that uh, introduced me to the same lady, and uh, then got me to uh, play in a uh, co-ed tennis league. Well, I never played tennis, so... I thought, well, I, I could probably do that. So I went and started playing tennis. Well, she paired us up the first night, and uh, we actually uh, started dating. And I think the second date we were on, um, we started talking about church, and, and actually me and the boys had already started going to church uh, after that. Um, and I asked her, I said, well, where do you go to church? And she ended up going to church the same place I was going to church and didn't even know it. Um, so... Uh, about a year later, we got married, um, so we combined two households, had four kids. Um, one of my stepkids uh, was very strong Christian, and it made a big impact on my, on my faith. Um, and she has uh, been very important in my, in my faith, uh, along with my wife. Uh, and it, it's just one of those experiences that, that you know, we're all going to go through trials and tribulations. Uh, that night I got down on my knees and prayed. Um, James 1 came to mind. I don't know why I've never read James 1 up at that point. Um, but 2 and 4 are really big. Um, rejoice when you go through trials and tribulations because it's your faith growing. And believe me, every time you have a trial, your faith is growing stronger. And it will grow stronger and stronger. And so if I have anything to say to anybody that might be going through something hard, um, God is always there. He was there with me through all the partying, all the stuff that I did wrong, and all he was waiting for is for me to ask for help, and he was there.
Thank you all. Thank you all for sharing. That's a, that's a scary thing, right? Um, to ask someone to come and share their story, to share their experience, it gets a little vulnerable. Uh, but we, I'm sure most of us in this room can relate to their experience in many ways. We can probably relate to the experience of that bondage that Jody felt in religion to where she's like, man, I, I accepted Jesus. I just don't feel free. Like the Bible talks a lot about joy and I'm not feeling that. This fullness of life stuff. I need to experience Jesus some more and understand my relationship to him some more in order to, to really get this experience and, and grow into the gospel. And this experience that Todd had with being um, feeling like it was this, this constant trial that was, was following him as he entered into this, this way of living that he knew um, was not following the will of God for him to pursue Christ. He was pursuing indulgence, right? And then as that experience continued to grow, bringing him to his knees to say, Jesus, I need you in this experience. I need you in my life. And then you see the progressive growth that Todd has gone through. That, it's important for us to understand that the two of them have shared their stories a lot. It's like a part of their life that they've, they've knit into themselves to where I, I need to be clear on my story and how I've experienced Jesus so that I can share it with people. And they've shared that a lot. And so if you're just beginning to do that, if you feel like maybe this morning is that opportunity for you to start doing that, it's going to take some time. Be patient with yourself. Be kind to yourself. Practice. Share your experience with Jesus with people you know have experienced him, people you trust. Share, people, share your experience with people who you have a good relationship with and just be honest. Be like, hey, I've never shared this with anybody, but I want to share this with you. I'm a little bit scared. Please, please don't just like run away. But just be honest as you share. Um, I've also got a couple of uh, important questions for you to consider. Um, we'll put those up on the screen one at a time. But as you're considering and, and meditating on your experience with Jesus, as you meditate on scripture and ask him, God, how, how are you coming to me? How, how can I meet you through these words, through the truth of who you are? Ponder these two questions. First, how do I need salvation, redemption, and restoration? How do I need salvation and forgiveness? How do I need the redemption of my soul that I've been separated from God, my creator and father, and need to be brought back to him? How do I need the restoration of the broken parts of me to be healed? How do I need salvation, redemption, and restoration? Because these needs are given to us not to beat us down and just teach us that the world is futile, to teach us that nobody gets out alive. Our needs, these, these are our spiritual needs. These needs are given to us so that we would turn to Jesus that we would find fulfillment of these needs in Jesus. Because 
we continue in those needs when we're trying to find fulfillment in other ways. So that's the first question. How do I need salvation, redemption, restoration? The second question, how has my life experience wounded me or led me to carry the weight of my sin or maybe sin that's been done against me? How has my life experience wounded me or led me to carry the weight of sin, whether my own or sin against me? Because our wounds and sin give us a chance to experience healing and forgiveness in Jesus. Just like Todd was quoting from James, like we have a reason to rejoice not because we're comfortable, not because we're not wounded, not because we're always happy. We have a reason to rejoice because in our trials, in our tribulations, in our sufferings, in our wounds, in our brokenness, we have a healer. We have a Messiah. And we haven't done anything to earn him. There's nothing we could do to keep him in our presence. He's here. And so take those two questions, pray through those, meditate on those things, use scripture to anchor you to what's actually true. It's important to take the time because we need to feel and experience our need to feel and experience how Jesus meets those needs. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your ears. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your ears. That means, listen. A huge part of prayer that we often ignore is listening. Listen to him and ask him to open your mouth that you would then proclaim the truth of him to the people in your lives. Notice that Todd was a Christian and it was other Christians who had proclaimed Jesus to him. So it's, it is that we proclaim to the outside world, the, the, the people who don't know Jesus, but it is also that we proclaim to one another. We have those three cultural pillars, pray, celebrate, go. And go is so simple and ambiguous because that's really it. We just go. Whoever's around us, that's who we go to. There's believers and unbelievers in your life. Go to them. When we experience Jesus, we will proclaim Jesus. Let's talk about communion. Band, that's your cue. <clears throat> As we share communion together, we do this weekly to remember and confess that Jesus was sent to us not simply and only as our healer, but as our Messiah, that our salvation, our redemption, and our restoration is found in him alone. So we take the bread that represents his body broken. We take the cup representing his blood, his blood poured out. And by taking these, we're not only remembering our experience of him, we're proclaiming our experience to one another. And we're gonna do this until he comes back for us, okay? If this is your experience, if Jesus as your savior, redeemer, and restorer is your experience, please join me at the table.